Well, everybody, welcome back to the State of Ready, a podcast where we talk about emergency management, new technology changing lives, and meet some really cool people doing some really cool things in emergency management. I'm Ed, owner of Ready Northwest Emergency Management, and I'm coming to you from the top left corner of the map, Portland, Oregon. And this is Bill Fogarty. I am coming to you from At 21 Kletz, also in the San Francisco Bay Area. And with us today is a special guest. Ken, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you, Bill. Yes, uh, this is Ken Anderson, Sr. I'm the Emergency Services Manager for the City of South San Francisco Fire Department. Um, and for the last eight years, I've been uh, the manager of our local CERT team as well. Excellent. Well, welcome aboard, Ken. It's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, reason for this episode, we were chatting, um, our last episode we had chatted about um, all the different types of stakeholder meeting and planning, and we brought up the fact that volunteer agencies and volunteer management um, is a very important process in emergency management. So this episode is going out to all emergency management, public safety, and volunteer organizations because there is a need to work together in order to help the community prepare and recover from a critical event. And so what we want to talk about here is when it comes to volunteer groups, there are so many of them out there. Uh, Bill, have you ever worked with volunteer groups before in response to, to other um, emergencies and, and disasters? Absolutely. You know, I was fortunate as the OES director to work with a lot of great organizations. Um, a lot of them had a lot of success in making sure that we got a lot of information out and we got a lot of information back. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to invite Ken onto the show is that I know that Ken is extremely successful where he's at in the city of South San Francisco, um, especially with the CERT program that's there. And I really think that he sort of sets the bar very high for a lot of groups and, and really gives us an understanding of what is needed for a volunteer organization. And, you know, I think one of the most important things to talk about is, you know, where do you even get to know who's in your area and uh, how you can go ahead and get them involved? And for me, that's throwing a big net. And by throwing a big net, I mean you go to every single possible function that's in the community. And that means whether or not it's your local Kiwanis, uh, whether or not it's Ropness, whether or not it's the Lions Club, going to meetings at the city councils that have, and also going out to individual groups that they already are in existence, especially your CERT program, uh, really getting as many people as you can out there and getting your name and telephone number out there as well as your contact information so they can reach out to you. Uh, Ed, how about for you? What do you find is the best way to go ahead and get to know people? Um, absolutely. Uh, because there are so many different types of volunteer groups that, that help out with so many different types of uh, populations or demographics, each one has their own individual training. And most of these volunteer groups or VOADs of volunteers um, are uh, active uh, after, a or after a disaster. Um, they can conduct monthly or semi-annual training, and they would love to have new people come and get to understand and know them during these training uh, operations. Um, your local search and rescue teams, Medical Reserve Corps, MRCs. Um, these are just a few that conduct regular trainings where emergency managers, uh, facility managers, people who would be uh, working together with them during a disaster uh, would be a great place to begin that process of uh, working together and training together. And, and Ed, what do you mean by MRC? MRC is the Medical Reserve Corps. It's one of the um, top uh, medical um, with the volunteer agencies that are out there. Uh, they coordinate the skill of practicing and retired physicians, nurses, and other health professionals, as well as other citizens that might be interested in health issues who are eager then to volunteer 
uh, in their community's ongoing preparedness efforts and response after a disaster. Thank you. And Ken, what about you? Where do you think is the best way to get to know them? Well, those were all, were all great ways to, to get to know your people. I mean, getting out in the community bills and collaborating is a huge one. I mean, that's, and then once you have them and you've trained them and they're on your team for as a cert member, then exercising with them is also a great way. Um, not only to get to know and see what their strengths and weaknesses are, but um, to, to keep them excited about cert. So exercises, uh, almost once a month we have an exercise and, and we run the gamut from um, getting in our EOC and learning about uh, the EOC and how to open and operate it. We call it a EOC 101 class. We, we go out and uh, um, do uh, building search and rescue. Um, we have uh, a big uh, first aid component that we use as well for our exercises. So I think those are some other great ways that you can get uh, your cert communication folks uh, communicating together, actually. Yeah, and just for um, our listeners out there, some of them might not be um, involved or associated with emergency management or up and coming in the emergency management. Can, can you go ahead and tell us what CERT stands for, kind of what CERT's history is and what they do for a community? Sure. Uh, community Emergency Response Team is what CERT stands for. That's the acronym. Um, and, uh, you know, Community Emergency Response Team uh, program educates individuals about disaster preparedness. Um, for hazards that may impact their air. Uh, we train them in basic disaster response skills, such as fire safety, uh, like I said, light search and rescue. Uh, we do a lot of team organization stuff um, in disaster medical operations. Uh, we, we even take it a little farther. They get a CPR first aid class, how to use an AED, and then uh, we do a little bit of ICS as well. Awesome. And uh, I'm a member of, uh, I've taken the training out here um, in Beaverton, Oregon for their CERT training. And it is very in-depth for somebody who's not fully involved in the first responder community. And it is really helpful to the first responders out there, the fire department, the law enforcement, emergency management, to have those CERT team members working together within the community. And I think it's very important if you're listening out there, one of the best things you can do is get involved with your search team. We're going to talk more about that and how to get involved and, and why it's so important involving them. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely. I just want to put that out there. If you have a chance to get involved with the local search team, absolutely do it. I think another thing to do is to think about meetings and, you know, we talked about this in stakeholder meetings last episode, but I want to think about pre-planning for exercises. And for me, what I found worked really well was Again, bringing as many groups of diverse people together to bring them to the table and to get their input as far as what they want to see in an exercise. And at those meetings, it really gives us an opportunity to see who those people are, get your contact information, uh, get an understanding of what their skill set is and what they want to do and how they want to participate in things. And Ed, do you want to just sort of recap last week's meeting or last week's podcast about stakeholder meetings? Yeah. So when it comes to stakeholder meetings, it's very important to know who you're going to be meeting with, who you're inviting, kind of know their background and their capabilities. Because once those people come to the table, they're a part of your now, they're a part of your planning process, they're a part of your exercise. And so it's very important to uh, make sure you identify who they are, uh, their capabilities, who they work with, who they're compatible with. That way they can be placed within that exercise arrangement there at those meetings and given the information that they need. Because some of them aren't really uh, emergency management based or active 
but they do play a they do play a very important role in the response and recovery, especially if we think about Meals on Wheels or other agencies that go to the vulnerable populations, maybe our elderly or, dis, or um, uh, elderly populations to check on them. Uh, those are very important to bring them in. And so know what they're capable of, who and how their operations are run so that you can give them the best information you possibly can. And Ken, when you're having these meetings with your CERT members, have you found a, a time or a location or what works best with the volunteers? Yeah, well, we go late in the, not late, early in the evening, 6.30 start time usually for us. Um, and and I like uh, getting together and having the meetings because I, I think the best communication is obviously face-to-face. And that's where, um, you know, we we get that fellowship as well. So we come together as a group and I give them a time before the meeting starts just to, to chat it up amongst themselves and have that fellowship time. And uh, they get to find out about each other and what they're all doing uh, outside of CERT. And then, um, you know, it, it also gives them a feeling of ownership. So we have the agenda and we have uh, meeting minutes and we have people in those roles that take the, the minutes and, and keep the uh, agenda going uh, month for month. And uh, it seems to be working out well. I think that's a great point. And, you know, when we look at who the volunteers are, I think we need to sort of look at the large organizations uh, before we start getting to the community base. And, you know, obviously one of the largest organizations I'm familiar with is the historical one of the American Red Cross. And, you know, they do an exceptional job. They're very active in the community. Um, they do a lot of things that we've started to interact with them once in office emergency services where we install smoke detectors, Operation Lifesaver. Uh, it really gives a chance to get actively involved in your community. And that's, you know, one of the first groups I always think of for volunteer groups. Um, Ed, any other ideas about other groups? Yeah, one of the ones that comes to mind is really Team Rubicon. Um, they are relatively new on the scene. They came up, uh, founded in 2010 by Jake Wood and uh, William McNulty. And they came out of the response of seeing what was happening at the during the Haiti earthquake at Port-au-Prince. And they're very, very good about helping um, individuals, especially though veterans who are coming back to reintegrate them into civilian life and giving them something uh, very helpful to do for their community. Uh, if you have a chance to work with Team Rubicon in your area or take a look at them on teamrubicon.com or at Team Rubicon, their story and what they're doing for veterans returning and reintegrating into civilian life and how they're helping communities um, recover is phenomenal. I, I highly recommend taking a look at them. And Ken, what about, how about you? I'm sorry. Ken, how about you for CERT? For CERT? Yeah, well, uh, first off, I wanted to say, you know, it's CERT in our city, but some other uh, places like the big city and county of San Francisco, it's known as NERT. Uh, you might have some businesses that call it NERT, uh, Business Emergency Response Team. And then you might have like uh, our one of our um, private industries out here, Genentech, has what they call G-CERT. So Genentech. Uh, community emergency response team. So there might be a couple other different names in the community, but CERT is what we call it. And uh, yeah, we uh, we we meet uh, and train monthly, and and they're involved in all our uh, department um, events as well. So that keeps uh, them busy. I think last year our CERT team logged over eighty five hundred hours of training, events, and exercise time. Um, so they're quite busy. Yeah, absolutely. And just a couple of real use case scenarios. We've had uh, CERT teams here in the 
Portland metro area. And in Portland, in the Aftral city of Portland, they're called net teams, neighborhood emergency teams. And out in the outer lying suburbs, uh, they are called cert teams. But a couple of the things that they have um, been activated on are you know, urban search and rescue, looking for missing persons. We had a couple of years ago, we had a tornado that came through um, Manzanita, Oregon on the coast, and they activated them to do search and rescue and to do community checks. So um, yeah, once again, CERT does all of those different types of duties there. Uh, and in order to get everybody on the same page, you know, what are some of the ways that these volunteer groups are able to communicate with one another? Well, I think one of the first ways is obviously electronic mail and text messages. I, I think it's just easy in this day and age. A lot of people have smartphones, so you have an opportunity to send people email and to do sort of a group blast via text message. Obviously, if you're smart, you have already pre-programmed all the telephone numbers into your cell phone. You have a group text, so you can go ahead and send it out on a moment's notice and let people know about what is occurring and what you need their help with. Ed, any other ideas? Yeah, absolutely. Usually a shared group calendar that has access for the team members on there to put the different types of training um, that are on there or exercises that are going to occur. So having some sort of group calendar that uh, all members of the team are able to access and then they can schedule really helps in getting a lot of people uh, on the same page to see what dates might work for particular training. And uh, Ken, how can um, social media help us with that? Yeah, so we use uh, Twitter. Um, and, uh, it seems to be working really, really good. I mean, Twitter is such a wide range of information. So we use it a little bit for training. We use it a little bit for what, letting them know what's going on. Um, we use, we have Facebook for our department, um, and they follow uh, the Facebook for not only for our department, but for our city as well. Um, we, we also, you know, we're still kind of, uh, old school. We use the, the actual phone tree <laughs> to communicate sometimes. <laughs> Uh, we use a, a great thing that we have here in San Mateo County called SMC Alert, um, and that's for deploying them and deploying them only. So I will send out an SMC Alert um, using our Everbridge system here, and then that's how we deploy them. And then, uh, you know, uh, like I said, the, the phone tree, and and once again, we build a text group as well. So we text uh, my hierarchy, the sections of our cert group, and uh, we're able to communicate that way as well. But social media seems to be the hot new way to, to keep in contact with our members. Yeah. Hey, Ken, in regards to social media, have you used Nextdoor to um, really work within uh, neighborhood organizations, specific neighborhoods uh, with the CERT team? Uh, just to communicate with the neighborhoods and letting them know what we're doing. Not so much to communicate with the CERT team um, we use all those other methods, but to communicate and get and market what we're doing, uh, we use Nextdoor a lot. Awesome. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good stuff about Nextdoor when it comes to CERT teams. So I didn't know uh, to the extent that your team was using it. And it's really good to see the uh, interaction that you have within the community there. I think this wraps up segment one. Uh, I think we'll be moving to segment two next, which is why do we want to involve volunteers? And if you don't know, make sure you listen for the next segment. Well, here we are on the next segment um, of why do we involve volunteer groups in our training? So what's the reason there, Bill, why you'd want to involve them? Well, I think the biggest reason is obviously the more people you have, the more help you're going to get. 
I mean, in the time of a critical event, if you have a small group that's going to be working together, you'd be able to accomplish obviously small things. The larger group you have, the larger things you can accomplish. And when you're really looking at building a community resilience, the more people you have actively involved, the better off you are. Yeah, absolutely. It's very important uh, that those additional people that get more help, more people, that's extra training. And more people equals more realism. Um, and it's a two-way street, both for them and for the emergency management agency. They get the training of how emergency management uh, can deal with these volunteer agencies who may be spontaneous at times coming up. And then you also have the training for them, uh, which they might not get to work alongside a government agency such as emergency management or law enforcement or fire department. So you really get to knock two birds out with one stone during this type of training here. And Ken, what about members of the community? Yeah, well, that's exactly what they are. I mean, uh, our members are uh, members of the community. You know, this is uh, their homeowners, their their renters, their, um, you know, they've raised their family in our city. They're the ones you see out walking their dogs at night and uh, using our parks. Um, they shop local, so they know what's going on um, in our community. So um, that's one of the reasons why we, we love our SERP members is that they're so involved in our community. Yeah. And when it comes to your CERT members, you say they're within our community here. Um, why are they so vital? If we have a large scale regional incident, like you would have an earthquake uh, or so and with those members of the community, how does that help by them living within uh, the affected area there, Ken? Well, yeah, they're here. And then, you know, uh, I think 80% of our force in our fire department live outside the county. So, we, we get CERP members to respond right away. They take care of them, their family first, their neighbors, and then they respond to their closest fire station. Um, that's their procedure. So <clears throat> we're going to get them uh, right away. You know, no bridges to cross. Uh, so they're, they're active um, as a responder uh, pretty fast. And uh, they're, they're even trained to, to get to our emergency operations center, uh, turn the lights on, start the coffee, and, and get the, uh, the table set up. So... Um, we use them all the way through that, that process. And I think this is important to note, you know, in the San Francisco Bay area where Ken and I both are located on the peninsula, we're, we're really sort of on islands. We have multiple bridges that connect us to the East Bay. Uh, there's one way in and one way out uh, going up the peninsula. Usually there's two main thoroughfares, Highway 101, Highway 280, uh, and obviously uh, Highway 82, which is known as the El Camino, our local area. But Otherwise than that, we're going to be on our own. And most of our first responders, like Ken mentioned, are coming from out of the area because of the cost of living that's here. And so it's really important to have volunteers who are going to help us have a quicker recovery. And for the quicker recovery, that means everything. Whether or not it's turning on the lights and getting things working in the emergency operations center, it's a rapid reaction force that can come quick and start the process of rebuilding or fortifying what needs to be fortified. And that includes everything, getting food, water, shelter, getting electricity, getting generators started. Really, it's, it's the lifeblood of any sort of community, any sort of organization, any sort of living areas that we need to start the process of recovery almost immediately. And we can't be waiting for it. I think, Bill, you said it in one of the other podcasts, they're force multipliers. Absolutely. I mean, really, they are the, the extra added that's going to end up helping us get 
so much faster recovery and make sure that we actually are able to help all the residents of our community, especially getting to help people who maybe have disabilities, people who are a vulnerable population, people who are going to have uh, extra needs that we are not fully prepared to deal with unless we get people actually out there to go find out who they are and help them. And you guys are both right. De- depending on, and we have the same type of situation here. We have the Cascadia subduction zone lying off the coast of uh, Oregon, Washington, Vancouver Island, and all the way down to Crescent City. Uh, and we are expecting a large earthquake to come out of that. Uh, but we also have local faults within uh, the Portland metro area. And Portland metro is separated by the Willamette River that crosses in between. And there's a lot of people that either live on one side, work on the other, um, but, but when it comes to that regional case scenario where there is a large scale incident, uh, there's only so many officers and fire department and EMS personnel that will be ready to go, depending on the time frame, especially if it's a graveyard, you're going to have a lot less people on duty than it is if it was going to be a day shift. And so those uh, CERT teams, those uh, volunteer agencies are definitely the first first responders and really stabilizing their communities and their situations by identifying the greatest need of where the help should go. And I think this brings up an important part about communication and how you're going to be able to communicate with a group. Ken, how are you planning on communicating with your group and how do you do it? With our emergency managers, uh, we, we have uh, a pretty strong local emergency manage- management association. I mean, we, meet, we, we, we meet once a month. And uh, we do a lot of other things. We train and exercise together. Um, we collaborate on plans and revision of those plans. Um, we're we're uh, involved in committees together and uh, lead some of the shelter organization groups meetings and training uh, organizations. We help write multi-year training and exercise plans together. And, and then uh, we're also pretty involved with our operational area. So our San Mateo County uh, Office of Emergency Services, um, we're, we're working uh, almost daily with them um, when it comes to uh, how we're going to communicate and tools that we use, like WebEOC and or mapping. So we're doing a lot of things together. And I think that's um, one of the strong points uh, of our county is uh, our collaboration. And I think that goes into the pre-planning. You know, a lot of that, if you do the pre-planning, it solves a lot of problems. And it's not just pre-planning as in, oh, it's a piece of paper that sits on a shelf that is a document that no one looks at. It's actually pre-planning and going through an exercise to actually test what it is that works and what it is that doesn't work. And I think this leads into our next part, which is uh, really talking about what are the best, me- best methods to go ahead and communicate. And Ed, what are your ideas about using tech? You know, tech is where we're at right now. And a lot of us within the emergency management agency and just us in general that's listening out there are very familiar with uh, social media, with our phones, uh, messaging systems. And once again, we reiterate how important it is to have some sort of common communication method. And we talk about Slack all the time. It gives that common uh, communication system where everybody can have the same input, be on the same page, read all the same notes. Um, and at the same time, utilizing new tech that's starting to come out. Um, and there's, we'll have more episodes later down the line about the new technology that's coming in, but definitely using the mobile phone, laptop, computer, radio systems, especially if you are a ham radio operator, those are very vital. Um, and there are volunteer agencies that are specific to that. And CERT teams have ham radio operators involved with them. So utilizing that. 
I think also one of the things that previously was mentioned by Ken was uh, the idea that we have a messaging system in our local community. There's Everbridge who uses who we use for SMC alert. And there's another group called Civic Ready that also sends messages. And really the idea of using telephones and understanding that people have telephones that are on them at all times. And also people still have home phones as well. And that we need to make sure we reach out to both sets of those because you never know where you might be when incidents occurring. And the best way to do it is actually just sending people a message sometimes. And uh, Ken, what about for you? What, how do you communicate during exercises? During exercises, we use uh, the WebEOC system. Uh, we'll use uh, faxes, emails, uh, you know, uh, phone. Uh, we'll use runners. Um, so uh, we, we try to practice a little bit of everything when we're going through exercises, especially when it comes to the communication side, especially, you know, having what, 20, 21 localities in our County. So it can be uh, quite the task if we're trying to communicate together. So right now, I think the, the strong point for us communicating is using WebEOC, but also, you know, sharing our plans and, and when we're, and especially if we're building an incident action plan or an event action plan. So planning is a big part of that. And I think that leads us to go ahead. Ed. Oh yeah. So I just wanted to reiterate, Ken brought up a great point out there for everybody that's listening. Um, low tech does not mean no tech. Uh, what he was talking about when it comes to utilizing runners, printed messages, using bullhorns, walkie talkies. Um, these are vital pieces that once, if we lose, depending on the type of incident, if we lose our infrastructure that we're so familiar with, we have to go back to using those low tech means. And so it, it, does bode for all of us to be very familiar with uh, those types of uh, pieces of information. Up here we have in Portland metro area, uh, we have the disaster cycle uh, races where people have bicycles that have baskets um, and that are loaded almost like with a cart on the back that they can shuttle disaster supplies throughout the city. Um, it's that type of technology that you want to definitely utilize in your exercises with your um, cert uh, teams or your net teams that are out there because we're going to have to revert to that if we have a large-scale exit or incident that takes out the technology that we're so used to absolutely and can can you just sort of explain what web eoc is yeah it's uh geez how, how do i explain what it is it's uh it's it's used uh, in many different ways one um situational awareness so we're getting uh once again we can see um due to what other cities are placing on into WebEOC, uh, what's going on in, in their, in their uh, cities. Uh, another way is we can order uh, resources on it. Um, to, we can send a, a resources ordering to our operation area, and then they'll receive them uh, through WebEOC. It's uh, used as, uh, I guess, the best way WebEOC is being used. It has a lot of um, the ICS forms on it as well. It has a great mapping uh, a system on it now using Esri. So that's been redone. Um, and the state's using it. And majority of our cities and counties in the region are using it. And it, it started off kind of slow, but I think it's building uh, some momentum now as uh, people are getting used to using it during exercises and real events. And um, yeah, we, we, uh, we use it for, for everything. And I think that really brings us to sort of the close of this segment. Um, but Ken brought up a very important thing about IAPs and instant action plans and how that may end up affecting critical events when they end up occurring. And I think that for the next segment, we're going to be rolling directly into planning.
So where we last left off uh, from our previous segment here, uh, we were talking about planning and the planning process and what it takes. So uh, Ken, when it came to um, the planning process for the CERT team, you know, what did you start with? We started with uh, building an incident action plan for our planning purposes, and, and that helps keep everybody on the same page and, and uh, stay in their lanes and get some tasks oriented. And, and then uh, we, we let them uh, run with that incident action plan and go through the process. So uh, I pick out the flavor of the month when it comes to their training and exercise, and then they uh, build the incident action plan for that exercise and um, use people in different roles. So CERT members can be the incident commander one month or a victim another month. And that's all written down in the incident action plan. And then historically, we have that incident action plan for the next time we're doing something, um, whether it's a 5K run or an exercise or training. And, you know, they're getting great at writing their own 205s. Um, everybody uses a 214 and documents everything. So um, we're playing like we would if uh, we had a real event. Gotcha. And uh, so when it came to, you know, um, giving them the option to be able to develop their own plans and create, um, is that something that you do with, uh, does every individual on the CERT team or is there senior members? And how does it work with involving businesses um, in the CERT process? So the businesses, uh, if you're talking about like their BERT teams or their, their GCERT teams, uh, yeah, you know, I think I, I, I believe that the instant action plan and that part of the planning is should be, you know, that's that's what we use as emergency managers and, and using the ICS. And so they all have our, all our CERT members are trained in ICS. And I, I've noticed that some of our bigger private industries like Genentech and Amgen, um, their BERT teams or their G CERT teams, they're they're uh, segueing into that as well. So they're using our ICS now and um, they're not quite at the um, advanced part of building an incident action plan, but they're building a procedure or, or directions um, and maybe using a 201. And then we're, uh, you know, we're sometimes we're uh, exercising and training with uh, Genentech um, and, and we're hoping to do more of that. We're hoping to do more with uh, uh, our fellows uh, Amgen and stuff like that, some bigger corporations and in some of the smaller ones. Well, okay, cool. That sounds great. Um, when it comes to um, how do you keep them? How do you keep them interested? How do you keep our our CERT members interested? Uh, well, mm -hmm. we uh, we involve them in everything. So um, you know, if we have a badge pinning ceremony, they're here helping with parking and directing folks um, where the where the ceremony is, and then they're welcome to come in and enjoy the ceremony. So um, that's that's one way uh, we involve them with every single exercise or training almost that the fire department does. And especially when it comes to involve uh, using our emergency operations center, um, <clears throat> if we have classes here. So if we're offering um, an ICS class, we offer it to them. Um, we we uh, uh, show show them the schedule. We involve them in our uh, multi-year training and exercise plan. So they're part of that plan. Um, and we do, you know, neighbor, neighborhood events. We go out to Lowe's and uh, talk about uh, people to the public about 
um, how they can purchase uh, disaster preparedness tools at Lowe's and uh, what the CERT team is all about. So a lot of, a lot of marketing to our public. I think that's one way and just keeping them busy um, is, is another. I think that, you know, really one of the things about having exercises and having them actually active and busy is you get a chance to really discover for them what their skill sets are and maybe teach them a new trick. Um, it allows you to understand who's going to be available, uh, especially when you look at a VOADS, uh, volunteers operating after disaster. It's going to be so important to have them have a skill set that can help you. And I don't care what you do, who you are. They can contribute after a critical event to really help us be resilient and recover. And, you know, we've talked about this sort of as a consistent theme, and it's one of our values. Really get everyone involved in everything that ends up taking place. No one is better than anyone else when it comes to a critical event. It really is all hands on deck and people helping each other. And I think the other thing is it allows you to survey residents, residents in your area and really see what they're able to do. And Ed, what about for business? Yeah, when it comes to businesses, uh, you can, if you, certain team members are such a critical um, component of their community when they're at home, but I think certain team members are such a critical component when they are at their place of business where they work. They have all this, have this understanding of how to do a, uh, how to manage an incident and how to make sure that this incident is uh at a workplace uh, they can administer uh, basic first aid do the simple search and rescue and really start that documenting process of what's going on so that uh, once they have their place of business uh, all set and ready to go then they can deploy with their regular team at their activation uh, and meet wherever their team uh, has to go and is assigned to and I think this sort of leads us into the idea of communication and exercises and using social media and websites. And, you know, for a lot of us, we need to figure out what our community actually has as far as what skill sets. Are they engaged in social media? Um, I know that Facebook now is sort of generational. Uh, I know that Twitter is generational. I know Instagram is generational. Snapchat is actually generational also. You look at who's available and what sort of social media form they're actually actively engaged on. Uh, and find out from your volunteers what their skill set is. How do they prefer to go ahead and communicate? Is it uh, you know a population in which they're looking for a telephone call to reach them and tell them to go ahead and respond? Are they looking for a text message? Uh, how are they going to end up getting engaged? And you know that is incumbent upon you to figure out how to build a, a following and really get them to uh, get people to know where to go to to find out the information they need. And you know, Ed, you help create the uh, content calendar uh, for us on State of Ready. Yeah, um, I'll talk about the content calendar, but I really wanted to hone in on what you just said there, Bill, and why it's important, how uh, the different types of social media that are being used are generational, we could say, uh, and that goes the same with your CERT teams as well. Your CERT teams can absolutely be generational, too, and it's great to have multi-generations, to have uh, newly graduated high school students uh, working together on a disaster response with maybe um, uh, some elderly or some seniors um, and some regular uh, middle-aged guys uh, and girls on the 
particular team because it really builds uh, the ability for them to develop cohesion and everybody has that differing viewpoint or that generational viewpoint of what's important. So in addition to the social media aspect and how, you know, Facebook reaches a certain demographic and Snapchat and Twitter, you know, having that diversity and inclusiveness on your cert teams. Um, but when we go to the create and calendar or create and content, uh, when you put all of this information out for your team to see, it's very important that there's a couple of things that are uh, vital pieces of information that they're going to need. Uh, first off, a calendar of events. It's that way that they can schedule. Since their volunteers are not on a paycheck, they might have uh, other responsibilities and duties, maybe a job or so on the other side, uh, that they really have to try to schedule and work around. So if you're able to put a calendar of events of items and things that are going on, uh, maybe multiple times throughout the month so that they can jump in on that particular training and then um, decide on what to show. Um, that's very important because maybe uh, what you show out there uh, in regards to photos or videos, uh, how that works two ways. One, it has to be able to reach that community that you're working to help. Um, it also breeds enthusiasm as well, too. And then work with people to get the word out and build that enthusiasm, help people to realize that they can really definitely be a part of their community. Um, Ken, how can we engage people? And we use something uh, here called group loop and uh, we pay for the service. It's not very much considering how many months we use it. But what I really, really like about group loop is we can send out um, all our invites uh, on our, on our calendar and we can, get them to reply back if they're going to be available or not. And that's one of the key things for me as the manager is, is being able to know beforehand around how many members are going to be coming to that event or that training or that exercise. And, and that's awesome. And see, that's something new that I didn't even know until today. So it, I, I really appreciate, Ken, you bringing that out to us. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I will tell you, I've learned a lot about different types of apps and tech that are utilized within the emergency management aspect. Uh, thanks to this podcast and chatting with people like you can, I didn't even know anything about group loop or I'm going to take a Google of that later. <laughs> and Ken, what about engaging people? How have you uh, been engaging on social media? Yeah. So, Hey, we, we, you know, we, we have these great photo boards of historical documents of what we've done, you know, in the past. And so we take photos uh, almost all the time and we have this, we have a go camera. And so now we're starting to use video as well, but we uh, tweet a lot. Uh, and I think that's, that's been a, a big winner for us because we talked about it, no matter what age, it's pretty easy to, for you to follow on Twitter um, what we're doing. So if you miss something, you can kind of see what we did and, and all the fun that you missed that night uh, via photos on Twitter. And we actually have uh, three three different Twitter accounts for us. So we have the fire department one. We have a, 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 a PIO and a couple of people who help our PIO for our CERT team. And uh, she tweets uh, quite a bit. Um, and then we have uh, our regular CERT uh, team Twitter account. And those are all three Twitter accounts are posting what we're doing constantly, um, as you know, Bill, as a follower. So I think that's, that's uh, one of the great things about Twitter is you can put video and pictures on it and then put a little uh, blurb in there about what, what just happened. I think it's really important, you know, when we start talking about social media and websites, it, 
you know, really a lot of information is distributed by social media. Ed, do you really think there's a need for websites at this point? You know, I think that the websites is a, as a general aspect should still be there, whether it's the primary use of resources for a team such as a cert team to get information out. Um, I think it's more, I think more teams are being on the proactive approach like Ken was bringing out and pushing out information as opposed to having them come to a central website. Uh, the website stays great uh, for current updates and archiving different incidences and uh, exercises and kind of showing pictures. But uh, what I like what uh, Ken is doing with his particular group and using it as a push mechanism and really getting that information into the hands of his follow the followers, the cert team, uh, and anybody else who might be interested, he's pushing out all out of that content. We're going to see a lot of that starting to show up in emergency management when it comes to outreach and interaction is we're not asking so much for people to come to us. We really want to push that information out to them into their hands. And I think this brings up another point. You know, I teach classes on social media. One of the things I always say is if you don't have a name registered, go out and register it. It really does not cost anything to go ahead and register a name and do it across all spectrums of social media. Get the same name on Twitter, same name on Instagram, same name on your website, same name on email address, because really that's what people are going to do to. They're going to look for the same consistent name throughout. And this day and age, there really is no reason not to go ahead and register it. You don't want to be behind the curve and have somebody register your name and really be putting out false information or to do damage to your reputation. Really, it's important for you to get ahead of the game. It's free in a lot of different settings. Registering a website probably costs you less than $15 a year. You want to get ahead of things. You don't want to be behind the curve on it. Yep, exactly. And then when it comes to meetings that may occur, um, Kenny brought out a great point. They can tune into Twitter uh, and they can kind of see different facets and snippets of what was happening. Um, but it's definitely important if you do have a formal type of meeting. We talked about it in our previous podcast, how having minutes so that if somebody wasn't able to attend, they can log in and take a look at those minutes of the meeting, see them typed up. Um, sent out on a regular basis so they can definitely follow along with uh, agency business. And if anything pops up that they might have a concern about, they can go ahead and put that information uh, relayed in so that it comes up at a next staff meeting or so. And really, I think this less leads right into uh, sort of the lessons learned. Ed, Ed, what are some of the lessons learned? Yeah, definitely. Um, we talked a lot about, I mean, there's so much when it comes to volunteer agencies. We outlined a few, Medical Reserve Corps, Team Rubicon, but we really Yep. I think we lost some of the conclusion. <laughs> All right. We'll go for uh, take three of conclusion. At least it's short. All right.
So uh, funny thing here, uh, listeners, <laughs> we are now, uh, we were in the midst of talking about a conclusion and for some reason we've, I've been having technical difficulties. So instead we're just going to go straight into the conclusion part <laughs> instead of doing another take of our previous one on uh, social media planning and, and everybody there. Uh, but what we, where I would last talked about and where I had last uh, jumped in on was agency, American Red Cross, Medical Reserve Corps, but then there's also the ones down in the community aspect. We really focus teams or however the other teams are named, um, however the other teams are named around here. Um, so once you find out who all those agencies are, just go ahead and cast that wide net out there and, and bring them into the meeting. Um, attend the trainings that they have. If they pose any trainings, they would love to work with emergency management. And you would love to work with them as well, too, because as we talked about there, that force multiplier. And then get online to network more. Go ahead and search out any agencies that might be working with you uh, when, with inside your community, maybe utilizing uh, LinkedIn for volunteer coordinators um, or utilizing websites. Um, Bill, what are other some things that we talked about, lessons learned within our episode here? I think the idea of train together and play together, you know, the way you play or the way you train, I should say, is the way you're going to play with game time and really getting your volunteers active in exercises really gives you an opportunity to see how they're going to be able to handle things and how they're going to be able to actually help you during a critical event and get them to go ahead and work together. So that, that way they have a better understanding of what each other's capabilities are and what skills are needed. Uh, the other thing I'd say is obviously uh, involve them in exercises in which it's going to stretch their skill set. And that means you don't have them doing the same thing over and over and over again. Give them a chance to do something different. Uh, people get placed outside their comfort zone usually means you're going to have either a, a uh, wonderful failure where people have a chance to fail forward or they're going to be so successful that that's their new task they want to take on. And really, it's an opportunity to go ahead and see what your people are made out of. Uh, Ken, what other major lessons did we learn? I think uh, one of them is a pre-plan on how to contact uh, your, your members in case of emergency. Um, I think that's uh, one of the big ones, one of the big things we looked at. And then uh, constant attention and exercising with them. Yeah, um, Ken, you brought out a great uh, point. I just wanted to reiterate that uh, activity and uh, keeping them involved keeps them excited as well, too. So I think you brought out a great point that just keeping uh, constant content and constant activities for them to really hone their skills and be prepared, that constant training and communication is what definitely makes that great organization uh, happen and one that you can definitely rely upon once an incident occurs. Our next episode will be Partners in Emergency Management, and we look forward to uh, having you listen to us then. Yeah. And so if you want to get in touch with me, my name's Ed. I'm also uh, owner of Ready Northwest. You can find me on Twitter at ready underscore Northwest, or you can send me uh, an email. You can head to the website readynw.com. And again, this is Bill. You can reach me at 21kletz on Twitter or at www.21kletz.com. And Ken, how can get people get in touch with you if they want to? Yeah, uh, once again, it's Ken. Uh, my email address is ken.anderson at ssf.net or on Twitter at 
S S F F I R E, South City Fire. Perfect. We thank everybody for listening. Everybody have a great day.